Well, good morning. Um, I'm so glad that you've come to join us uh, today. We are in a series that we're calling um, Psalms, the book that reads you. Uh, I love the Psalms, and we've done this on several summers where we've picked out a few of the Psalms, but there are 150 of them, so it will take us several years to get through them all. Uh, but uh, uh, today we're going to be looking at Psalm uh, 84. Now, some of you know that Cindy and I and James, we were on vacation the last couple Sundays, and um, I've discovered something that is even more exciting than Disneyland in Southern California, and that is I have a new grandbaby. Her name is Eleanor, and she will turn one uh, next month. We're just about three weeks um, away from her birthday, and so we visited with our daughter Tiffany and then Eleanor's mom and dad, uh, Rob and Kyla, and it was, it was incredible. I, I, I got to show you a picture. So here's a picture of, we, we did sort of a, we preempted the birthday celebration. Don't you love that cute little cake that Cindy bought for her? I mean, it's just her size. And so I was waiting for the smash the cake in my face moment, but she's too dainty for that. She was picking off each one of those little chocolate slivers, and, uh, but she loved it. She loved it a lot. I, I tell you what, this girl actually loves her grandpa. I mean it. Uh, I walk into the room, and she, her eyes light up, and she starts going like this, and that means come and get me, grandpa. And you know what? I can't resist that. So I, I scooped her up every day I could, and we had a great time. She also loves her grandmother, but she loves her Uncle James. And here's a picture of Uncle James. There she is. So um, it was a wonderful time. She's starting to, cr she's crawling, and she's starting to stand up. She wants to stand up all the time. She doesn't know there's a thing called walking yet, because she's never put together that standing up and stepping is a possibility, but I feel like that's coming soon, and it is so fascinating to watch the growth and development of these little ones. Now I've got something I look forward to. I, I look forward to the next time I go see her. Don't know when that's going to be. But I long to be with her. You know, what do you long for? I mean, what are you hoping for today? What are the longings of your heart? Did you know that your longings will guide the direction of your life? Your longings shape your heart and your emotions it will guide your perspective, and your, your perspective will determine whether or not, as you process the longings and the experiences of your life, whether you lose strength or gain strength, whether you are becoming more hopeful or you're becoming less hopeful. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 84, and Psalm 84 describes a great longing to be and live in the presence of God, a longing so powerful that it shapes the perspective and the direction of the writer of Psalm 84. And I have to ask myself this question, do I really long to live, in the life, live my life in the presence of God? Is God my focus? Is he my strength? Is he my source of hope and joy? I mean, are my attitudes shaped by my circumstances, the pain, the struggles, the annoying people around me? Or am I shaped more by my desire and longing to be in the presence of God? There's this guy, um, who wrote a 
wrote a lot on pessimism. His name is Arthur Schopenhauer. And, I mean, he, he's well known for his studies in pessimism. Take a look at this book you can buy right there. Isn't that a fun guy? Look at him. I mean, you want to invite him to your birthday party for sure. And here's what, this is what this guy who is known, I mean, he lives his life and he's known for being Mr. Pessimist. He was an atheist and he was famous for his bleak outlook on life. I mean, this is what he said. Today is bad and day by day it gets worse until at last the worst of all arrives. He's talking about death. And you're, think, you're thinking, well, thanks, Uncle Arthur. That was pleasant. He also said this, the world is meaningless. Human life must be some kind of a mistake. He went on to say the best comfort in affliction will be the thought of other people who are in a still worse plight than yourself. We are like lambs in a field waiting under the eye of the butcher. This guy was notorious for not being a very nice guy. In fact, there was a lady talking outside of his house one day, and he pushed her down the stairs. She was so injured, and it changed her life so much that the court insisted that he would pay her un uh, until she died. And when she finally did die, this is what he wrote in his journal. The old woman dies. The burden is lifted. Wow. Wow. This guy's like the life of the party, right? I can't imagine many people want to hang out with him, and in fact, they didn't. He died lonely, selfish, and miserable. His perspective on life was life presents itself, presents us with a series of tasks, pretty much. Life is hard, and then you die. Now, you may be going through a tough season. You may be living through some real trouble, confusion, depression, isolation, or loneliness. And how you respond to that is going to dictate where you move forward. You can be like Schopenhauer and just be a pessimist and Life is hard, and then you die. But the, could there be a different way? I mean, seriously, some of us, sometimes all of us are in a situation that we don't want to be in. We sometimes find ourselves in circumstances we would have never have chosen. Maybe relationally, things are not going like you planned. I mean, you long to be in a relationship, and you're not. Or some of you are in a relationship, and it hasn't turned out like you dreamed of, and you wish you weren't in that relationship. Maybe you have health issues. All of a sudden, the good health you took for granted is now taking a turn for the worse, and you have to live with frustrations of the limitations that go with that health issue. Maybe your song is, peace like a river does not attend my path anymore. And maybe for you, God, who may at one time seemed very present, feels really distant and absent. Psalm 84, it gives us a path for difficult times. Now, we're going to read through the whole psalm, but I picked out three words that will guide our discussion today. Um, the first one is bird. Everybody say bird. 
Thank you. The second one is pilgrim. Say pilgrim. And the third one is doorkeeper. Say doorkeeper. So that's going to like segment the study today. We start with the bird. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord God, uh, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you, Selah. Do you hear the emotion of the psalmist? I, my, my soul longs. I mean, I'm looking for something. My soul longs. My heart faints for you. I need you, God. I need you in my life. And then he, he uses the bird as kind of a, a metaphor. You know, in those days, the temple, what, there wasn't HVAC right? So there were places that the birds could get in, and the psalmist, he doesn't begrudge the fact that the sparrow and the swallow find their way into the temple. He kind of celebrates that God cares about everything he created, and the bird is an illustration of God's presence and concern. Birds in the temple, unimportant and overlooked. I know when I was a kid, if there were live animals in the church building, that got my attention. I grew up in the Philippines. When I was six years old, we moved to that tropical place, hot, humid, and the one thing I loved about the Philippines was, as I sat through many services, because I was the missionary's son, and I had to sit through many services, I would sit as a six-year-old on the pews, and I, I was delighted as I looked up into the ceiling the first time, and I noticed that there were like several of these lizards climbing on the ceiling of the church. They're upside down. I mean, they're like Spider-Man. It's so awesome. And so while the preacher was going on and on, I would content myself watching those lizards. I was mesmerized with this idea that they could walk upside down on the ceiling of this church, and they never fell down. Well, almost never. Because one day I was watching one of those lizards, and as I watched him, that lizard Something happened, he turned loose, dropped to the ground, except for he didn't hit the ground, he hit the top of the shoe of a guy on the front row of, of the church, and he startled, ran up the pant leg of this guy. This guy, of course, jumps up in the middle of the service, starts dancing around, because something is up his pant leg. He's not quite sure what had happened. I knew what had happened, because I'd been watching the lizards. I remember as a kid going to my grandpa's farm in Iowa. My brother and I had our BB guns and so we were like wanting to shoot stuff and so my granddad said, hey listen, I tell you what, I'll give you a dollar for every sparrow you kill. I thought, man, my grandpa really hates the sparrows, doesn't he? 
You know, actually, as I grew older, I realized, no, my grandpa didn't hate the birds. He just knew what bad shots we were. And he never did pay out, pay out a dollar because we never hit one. You know, God paid attention to the birds. If you ever think you are unimportant to God, understand that even the swallow and the sparrow have their place in the temple of God. And it's a metaphor for the fact that God desires to be with every one of us and knows each one of us personally. You matter to God today. God is watching over you. The people around you may not understand all the things you are dealing with right now, the things present, things past, the worries of the future. Boy, that can shape your attitude and your disposition. But you know that God understands exactly what you're going through. He has perfect knowledge of the frustrations of your life. And no matter what you've done, you may even think that, you know, as, as, as a person, I have sinned and failed so many times. I don't think God cares very much about me. He probably is annoyed that I even try or think about coming into his presence. You couldn't be further from the truth because, you see, God loves you and cares about you, and you matter to him. Jesus even says this explicitly in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? That wasn't worth very much. And now one of them falls to, not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, <clears throat> but the very heads of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. God knows you, and he cares about you. And if you will reach out to him and seek him today, He'll be there. This week I went to a wedding and I sat by a man <clears throat> who was there attending the wedding as well. And um, we began to talk about our families and exchange so showed some pictures. And this provoked a story that he remembered. He was on a mission trip to Brazil. And he went into a house where a woman lived with her three daughters. And he said that, you know, he was working through translators and and, and Google Translator and trying to share the story of Jesus with this woman and her three daughters. And the language barrier was a problem, but didn't stop him. And he, he noticed that uh, the mother um, mentioned or pointed to her older daughter who uh, was, was clearly uh, had handicaps. She couldn't speak. She would make noises. Uh, she had sort of involuntary body movements. And as he talked to her about the love of God, this woman kind of gestured toward this one daughter of hers. And, and, and he says, oh, oh, you're concerned about her. He says, oh, no, no, no. You don't need to be concerned about her. Did you know that she was created for the glory of God. She's on mission. She's doing her part. This is the plan of God. And then he told the story of the time when Jesus healed a blind man. And the question from his disciples was, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his father, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered them, well, neither this man or his parents. But this happened so that the work of God might, God might be displayed in his life. He said, your daughter here is on mission. And he 
He's, she's accomplishing way more than you can even imagine. And this life is like a puff of smoke and it's gone compared to all of eternity. And when she gets to eternity, she will enter her reward and she will be a leader. She will be awarded the, your daughter in eternity and that's gonna be much longer than this life. It's gonna be just fine. He said at that point, this girl in front of him grew silent and still. And she looked him straight in the eye and then reached out her hand and touched his hand. And the mother and the two sisters all began to weep. And he said, you know what? You need to accept Christ. And they did. Because you see, no one is unimportant. Even the bird found its way into the temple. You matter to God. He's watching you today. I mean, I believe with all my heart that if you'll listen, he'll speak to you. Pay attention. Second, a pilgrim. Verse five. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, which, which means the valley of weeping, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. O oh God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. What this is talking about is that um, you and I will experience trouble. But in that trouble, if we will seek him, it will start us on a pilgrimage. And on that pilgrimage, our trouble will often teach us a lot more than our blessings. That journey of the pilgrimage, you gotta keep moving toward God. I mean, don't be a pessimist. Life is hard, endure and then die. That's not going to give you any strength. I mean, the truth, though, is life is full of trouble. God is here, and he will strengthen those who come to him and go on this pilgrimage in the presence of God. That's the point of view of the Bible. I know there are many people who are angry at God because they're disappointed in their circumstances or the experiences of their life, and the equation that people carry is God is good, so therefore everything in my life should be good because God is gonna be making all things good. And that's not what the Bible says. God is good, he can turn all things into good, but the Bible says that God actually knows trouble is coming our way, and our response to trouble should not be to exit the presence presence of God, but to engage the presence of God. And James, who was the half-brother of Jesus and a leader of the church, a late disciple, 
James was the half-brother of Jesus. He thought his brother was crazy. But after the resurrection, Jesus personally appeared to his half-brother, James. And he realized at that moment, oh my, this brother of mine that I always complained about being the perfect brother, he actually was. He was God in the flesh. And James became a leader of the church in Jerusalem. And then he writes this in James chapter 1 about trouble. My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Seriously? Count it all joy? If you're here today and you're just a little bit ticked with God because he's let you go through some things you didn't anticipate or expect, I'm, I'm just going to say that the alternative plan is this one. God, I hurt like crazy. God, I am so confused. God, I feel depressed and sad. I don't even know what to do, but I'm going to take another step in your direction, and I will count it all joy, believing that you will take me through this, and you will accomplish good things in this. Count it all joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. This sounds like this, God, this doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm going to believe that you are good and that your goodness will prevail even in my hardship, hurt, even in the bad things that people have done to me. I'm going to trust you. I will count it all joy and let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Do you know what the Bible says? The, the Bible says that the goal of life is not to stop having problems, because you can't do that. The, the, James actually says that in the middle of your problems, Change your perspective, draw near to God, and count it all joy because God is going to accomplish something amazing. It will be strengthening to you. I mean, that's what the psalm says. You go from strength to strength. Um, you, you have no idea what God is doing. God is not, in making all your, not about making all your circumstances perfect, but he's about making your character perfect. So he's willing for you to endure some suffering in order to accomplish his good thing in your character. You know, when James talked about counting it all joy when you fell into uh, trials, he knew what he was talking about. I mean, I don't think we realize sometimes how good we have it. Did you know that in the first century, nearly half of all the children born into a household died before they reached adulthood? Did you know that? That means that a mother who would bear several ch children would most likely bury half of those children before they became adults. Can you imagine the brokenheartedness that people had to live with? I mean, how sad is that? I mean, can you, can you imagine that... Um, that the people in that day, many of them, most of them were poor. I mean, they're so poor, they didn't know if they would eat the next day. That's trouble. Many of them were slaves. Can you imagine not even owning your own body? That's trouble. The early Christians were not just ridiculed for their faith. They didn't just lose their job but get disinvited to the party. Some of them actually 
were martyred for their faith. That's serious trouble. And James, the writer of this passage, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the church, was himself martyred when King Agrippa ordered him beheaded. That's trouble. And yet, James says, I'm not afraid of trouble. He echoes the words and the sentiment of the Apostle Paul who's waiting to be beheaded in prison in Rome. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because you see, if Jesus is your Savior and you draw near to God, death does not have the power to have the last word. God wins. This is the story of many, many people in the Bible. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the present sufferings of this, that the sufferings of this present time, the sufferings of this present time, what does that mean to you? Who, can you tell me that story? The suffering of your life in this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. How do you get to that? You focus on a pilgrimage that leads you to God. You trust that God, even in your trouble, is building your character and you rejoice because God is at work. Circumstances come and go, character is forever, pain is temporary, joy is eternal. God is not in the fix all your circumstances business. God is in the character formation business. And the psalmist says, that's what pilgrims do. Lastly, a doorkeeper. He was a doorkeeper. Better for, a better, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. So here's the honest truth. Um, will following Jesus cost you? And the answer is, yeah. You can't choose righteousness and following Jesus, and being loved by the crowd and all the buddies around you whose lives are an antithesis to that. I mean, those aren't the same thing. I mean, it may cost you even a job. It may cost you finances. It may cost you relational or reputational capital to follow Jesus. And the psalmist apparently understands this, but he's concluded, hey, I've decided I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to party it up in the tents of the wicked because that's not where I want to be. You know, my son James, his, his dream job, and he watches YouTube videos all the time. You know what, you want, want to guess what his dream job is? You can't guess. Um, he wants to be a trash man. He loves to watch trash trucks. And he loves people who pick up scrap metal. We'll be driving down the road and we'll see a trash truck. He says, Dad, dream job. 
dream job. You all probably don't get the kind of joy James does when you see that, do you? You may think, I don't know that I want to, if I choose to live a blameless life and follow Jesus, man, things are going to change and I'm not sure I want all that. But this, this person in the psalm says, oh, I've already decided. Here's the deal. Are you kidding me? I'd rather be the doorkeeper in the house of God. Because I just want to be in the presence of God. Because nothing is as powerful and joyful and hopeful as living in the presence of God. There was this man by the name of Dieter Zander who was this amazing musician, speaker, worship leader. One pastor described his amazing ability to perform at the piano and the pulpit. He said, when you walk into the sanctuary, the energy in the room of Dieter was leading was amazing. It was loud. You could hear the music pounding in your body. The message from Dieter brought cheers from the crowd. He held the room and captivated his listeners. He was in great demand as a musician, speaker, and author. It seemed that everyone wanted to listen to him perform and to hear what he had to say. But then, Dieter Zan suffered a major stroke and went into a coma. Six days later, he awoke a different man. His crippled right hand couldn't play the piano. He couldn't sing. He couldn't even speak except very slowly and painfully to mumble a stuttering string of unrelated words. Dieter's stage was gone. The applause he thrived on was gone. The opportunity to use his talents and to earn a living was gone. It all seemed everything was gone. Yet Dieter was still the same person. His brilliant and creative mind was completely intact. He had the same emotions, the same sense of humor, the same wit and eloquence, but he had a bungling mouth. It tired people out trying to understand him. And so one by one, they all went away. Isolation set in. He was sealed off from the rest of the world behind a wall that is called aphasia. He was in solitary confinement inside his own head. Alone, Dieter still heard still the still small voice of God. Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I am God. Years later, he wrote all those thoughts, those fears, those jokes that I couldn't bring, out, bring to life outside my head. God heard them. I felt his comfort, his peace, even his laughter. Without a ministry platform, Dieter learned to live a simpler, slower life. He worked at Trader Joe's. He described his world like this, it is a noisy, windowless room in the back of Trader Joe's grocery store. He took care of the empty boxes and managed the shopping carts marked spoils. They were brimming with still good fruit, meat, and flowers. Now five days a week, I arrive at Trader Joe's in the early dark hours before the sun cracks the horizon. I pull my mop up and down the aisles sweep my broom 
into the corners to collect the debris from the day before. The store is quiet and empty. There is one audience, and it's God. Doesn't this sound like better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere? I love that song. He goes on, but that's okay, because I'm not performing. There's no stage dealer here, no Superman seeking to wow the masses with feats of spiritual strength. I'm just me, just Dieter. The guy who mops the floor, who bails the empty cardboard boxes for recycling, who delivers the spoils to the Salvation Army. There's something beautiful about this simple menial work, though. Take the food marked as spoils, for example. It's all still good. The fruit is good. The meat is good. The flowers are good. But they're not perfect. Anything that has an expiration date of today cannot be put out on the shelf for sale. And if a pear so much as rolls off the smooth pear, green pear pyramid of fellow pears, uh, it is immediately put in the spoils pile because it's not perfect anymore. So the Trader Joe's employees fill shiny carts with all the perfectly edible imperfection and wheel the load back to my kingdom. My last task of the day is to load the van with spoils and deliver it to the local Salvation Army where it will feed the hungry who don't care at all that their apple is lopsided, that their hamburger is in the waning stage of freshness. They don't care how it looks, they just wanna eat. To me, this here in the back room, this is what is real. Not the bright aisles of suburban shoppers making their menu selections from stacks of perfection. I understand spoils, I can relate. I, too, am spoils. I used to be packaged as perfect back in the heyday of my church career. I was a shiny, unblemished apple. At least that's the image I polished up and displayed to the public. But now, stripped of my talent, my stage, my salary, I relish the imperfection. I revel in the spoils. As I break down these empty squares of cardboard abandoned boxes that once held and protected goods more valuable than themselves I survey my kingdom and I'm pleased I feed the cardboard piles into the giant maw of the baler and chuckle to myself as I think I am recycled Dieter I am emptied and crumpled and stained and ready to be used again in a new way in a new life Work was hard today. I am tired. The knuckles of my twisted right hand are scraped raw. The hand is numb now, so I don't feel it when I bash it against something harder than skin. But you know what? It's okay. I come home after work and I think, it's good today. It's not a sermon. It's not a performance. It's not perfection, but the cardboard is recycled. The spoils are feeding the hungry. And today I am thinking life is good, very good. Psalm 84 says and calls to us and says, um, hey, listen, 
you can be a pessimist. You can be angry, mad, and helpless, and hopeless. But you could come into the courts of God today. You could be a bird because you matter to God. You could be a pilgrim that in your trouble, it just puts you on a journey to understand and know God in ways it's hard to describe. And you're content to be even just a doorkeeper as long as you can stay in the temple of God. Will you bow your heads, please?